It's Ephesians 2 and uh, verse 8. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. No one, no one, everyone say no one. No No one will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. That's why when we were just singing, we weren't singing, I exalt me. (laughs) It's been funny to me every time. Hasn't been funny to you, but I've committed to four services saying that joke because to me it's hilarious. But one more time, it's in the moat. It just fell right there. Uh, The moat of dead jokes. But um, (laughs) we, we cannot boast. Salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So we're beginning a series called Everything for Nothing. God gives us everything. God gives us everything. And there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve that grace. Receiving God's unearned, undeserved gift of grace. Let's pray. Father, speak now. And I pray that you would begin to build our faith as I teach on your grace. And then as we... uh, conclude this tonight with Holy Communion, that there would just be a a tangible, palpable faith in the room to receive from you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Philip Yancey defined grace this way, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And for our readers out there, he's written an incredible book called What's So Amazing About Grace. I'd love for you to read it if you read. (laughs) If you, do, if you do more than tweet, you know what I'm saying? There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Wow, Ooh, that's good news. Just everyone exhale. Just, ah, that's good news. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you as much as he can. That's grace. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. That's what it is. Now, if you've been in church Uh, For a length of time, you may have heard that grace is God's divine empowerment. It's not. It's his unmerited favor. There are are incredible anointed Bible teachers that teach that that grace is divine empowerment. And man, they have a heart of gold. They're just not right. (laughs) Okay. Because grace is unmerited favor. I talked to one of these guys, brilliant, and I respect him highly. And he began to break down the word and say, you know, here's what grace is. It's divine empowerment. You know, 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect. He went to Jude and, uh, you know, he went to Titus. And, you know, grace will teach us to say no to ungodliness. See, see, grace is divine. And I said, I said, no, no, no. I understand what you're saying. But grace is not divine empowerment. Grace is unmerited favor. It does empower us, but it's not empowerment. Grace does empower Great, love it, awesome, agree. But it is unmerited favor because the fact that he would empower you is only because of his favor. The fact that he would help you is only because of his favor. The fact that he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and give you power is because of his favor. The fact that he would heal you is because of his favor. Everything God does for you, in you, through you, with you is a gift of grace. Grace is a generous gift from a superior to an inferior. 
Grace is God's love in action. So grace is not something you receive one time just at salvation. Grace is an ongoing, growing and receiving of grace. See, so you don't mature from grace, you mature in grace. You don't grow past grace, you grow in grace. Grace is not the ABCs. Grace is A to Z. You don't get beyond it. You don't start in grace and then move on to other things. There's only grace, and after grace is more grace. Well, let me prove it to you. John 1.16. For from his fullness we've received grace upon grace. Leave that up for a second. This is an amazing Greek word here, upon. Grace upon grace. This word upon is the same Greek word that's used for anti when in First John, John would describe the Antichrist. Because this word anti, this Greek word here, anti, it's actually anti, means not just like against, but it means instead of or to replace with. So when the spirit of the Antichrist, which is in the earth today, what the spirit of the Antichrist, it's not just the spirit that's against Christ, though it is. Um, and you can feel that in our culture and it's everywhere. But it's even more than that, it's a spirit that's instead of Christ. You know, it's instead of the anointing, it's, it's what we can do without Christ. It, that's what the spirit of the Antichrist is. But now grace, anti-grace means grace in replacement of grace. In replacement of grace. When you run out of grace, you replace it instead of with more grace. It's not grace, but then you screwed up and now it's judgment. It's grace. And when you run out of grace, you start new grace. Y'all ever been to the ocean? Anyone been to an ocean? Seen an ocean? Heard of the ocean? Some of you just, your hands don't work. Okay, so uh, you're like, I'm staying right here, bro. Okay, so. I want you to think of grace as a wave. When one comes in, the next one's already on its way. And you really don't know when one ends and one begins because they just, they just keep coming. It just, it just keeps, it just keeps, it just keeps. That's what grace is. It's wave after wave. As soon as you exhaust this grace, there's a new grace. And you don't really know when the last grace ended and the new grace began because it's grace instead of grace, anti-grace. And that word anti is really cool because it's opposite of, in other words, when you get to the very, 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 very end of grace and you think, okay, what's at the end of grace? The opposite of it is more grace. You can't find the end of it. So God gives us a wave of grace called salvation. But then another wave comes in. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we can now pray in a prayer language. And then there's another wave called healing. And there's another wave called provision. And there's another wave of grace called restoration. And there's another wave of grace called a dream and a vision. There's another wave of grace called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's another wave of grace called you and your whole household shall be saved. There's another wave of grace called prosperity. And there's another, no amens for that one, but there is. And there's an, I'll take yours if you don't want it. And there's another wave of grace called supernatural abundance. There's another wave of grace called miracles. And and so when one wave 
could have, you know, God could have ended with one. He just keeps giving more and more and more and more and more and more inexhaustible. You can't find the beginning or end of grace. See, in the Old Testament, there was grace. You read about grace in the Old Testament here and there, uh, but it was given in measure. So like um, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So first time you see grace, Genesis 6. Noah found grace, but boy, his sons didn't. (laughs) Uh, Lot found grace, but boy, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't. It was given in measure. Um, David found grace. God found David. But boy, Saul did not find grace. Y'all seeing this? It was given, and even even with David, when David screwed up with Bathsheba, uh, God forgave David, didn't strip the kingdom, but then David's son died. There was only grace in measure and then judgment. But in the new covenant, we're given not a measure of grace, but we're given a Romans 12 measure of faith. We all start, when you say yes to Jesus, we all get the same measure of faith. And then you have to grow it. You all, everyone gets the same. I, I didn't start with any more faith than you did. We all start with the same and then you got to develop it and work it. But grace, you don't get a measure. Grace, you get grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Because God knew you could do a lot with a little bit of faith. But he also knew you were going to need a lot of grace. So from his fullness, we receive grace instead of grace. On top of grace, grace upon grace. And you're going, Jabin, that's great, but. Yeah, but. There's always a but. Here's why, because our flesh is uncomfortable by this. Because the moment you receive grace, there's no more room for boasting. Now, I'm going to get into that. We're going to be here for about six weeks. I figured out after today because we got a lot of work to do. So we're going to be hanging here for a long time. Um, our flesh resists grace because if we have nothing to perform for, what's the motivation? But I'm telling you, grace will set you free. But our flesh, our flesh fights it because, see, like even in religion, we are, the, we are radically different than any other religious ideology or system. Radically different. Radically different. Um, there, is, there is no system. There's no thinking. There's no belief system like Christianity because it is all about grace, not performance. It's, even, it's radically different than Catholicism or, or Mormonism. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying it's radically different. So when you go, when you think you, God, you think performance. But grace is radically different. And, and it's even radically different than just like the American dream. Man, we're trying to hustle. We're trying to grind. We're trying to get ahead. We're trying to make some money. Trying to get, you know, trying to help our family. Trying to, trying to do better. All of that's great. I'm not, I'm not against that. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, there's a place for hard work. It just, huh. there's a place for hard work. You just can't bring it into your walk with Jesus. So when I come to God, I check all of that at the door. And I don't come, Hebrews 4, I don't come timidly 
to the throne of performance. I don't come fearfully to the throne of works. Hebrews 4 tells me I come boldly to the throne of grace. And it's there that I obtain mercy. That, that's, that's, so, so I want to work really hard. I want to get ahead. I want to do it. I want to, but when I come to Christ, I come as a child. In childlike faith, receiving, not performing. Grace is the opposite of trying hard. It's the opposite of self-effort. It is receiving a free gift, period. Grace gives me the ability to exhale. (sighs) Number one, we're saved by grace. Number one, we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, nothing we did, nothing we could ever do could earn this salvation for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. Grace, you're, you're saved by grace, saved. Why do, why, why do I need to be saved? I'm a good person. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm pretty good. No, you're pretty bad. Can we like be real? Like I'm pretty bad. Like I love Jesus. Y'all remember that lady that called into Ellen and said, I love Jesus, but I cussed a little. Y'all, I don't know if you remember that. That's my testimony. I don't know what to tell you. I'm pretty bad. We're pretty... You leave us alone without the word and without the spirit and without the influence of God and without a church community, well, you will go, you will go dark quick. We are pretty bad. I'll see a person. I haven't seen them for a month. They come back into church looking like Jesus. I'm like, I don't know what you've been doing, but we love you. And they're like, yeah, praise the Lord. I've been traveling. I've been traveling. We're not pretty good. And even if we weren't pretty good, pretty good is not perfection. And what a holy and righteous and just God demands is perfection. So we don't go to God pretty good. We go to God completely perfect because the blood of Jesus has covered us. This is grace. This is grace. When Adam and Eve sinned, they began a process of death and sin in the world. Jesus came, Matthew 121, to save his people from their sins. To save us from the penalty of sin, death, and from the consequence of sin or the power of sin over our life. So you don't have to live bound to sin forever. Salvation is a gift we receive, not a goal we achieve. Can I see that on the screen? Salvation is a gift we receive, not a goal we achieve. I literally heard a preacher one day say, salvation is like the oar of a boat. And you just got to keep paddling. And as long as you keep paddling, eventually you'll paddle into heaven. But if you ever stop paddling, you won't get there. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, act- this is what people actually think. This is why preachers do stupid stuff, by the way. This is why they sin. Because they live in performance all the time. And they don't, have a, they don't have a healthy escape. They don't have a healthy way to deal. So they, they live under constant pressure and then they do something stupid. That's why they do it. 
So they boast, I don't watch that movie, I don't watch that show, I don't watch that kind of music, I don't listen to that, I don't drink that, I don't do that. And they find out, you know, they're sleeping with people in their church and you go, you're all bound up, bro. Give yourself a little grace. You know, they won't drink, but they take sleeping pills. You know what I'm saying? I don't drink wine, but then they'll pop pills to go to bed. Okay, I'm picking on preachers, I'm sorry, okay. I'm one of them, I'm one of them. And so, but we, we get into this performance, yeah. rowing. Can I tell you what salvation really is? Salvation is a river flowing towards God. Yes. And you ain't getting off the river. It's also the boat. It's also the oar, but you're not holding the oar. Jesus is holding the oar. And according to Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it in you. Can I tell you, Jesus is way more committed to your salvation than you are. He is absolutely committed to completing the work that he began in you. Way more than you are. You're not good enough to be saved, and you're not bad enough to not be saved. Salvation is by grace alone, faith alone, Jesus alone, period. What does this word save? This word saved in the Greek is sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo. Sozo or sozo, if you want to say it like that, means this, God rescuing believers from the penalty and power of sin into his provisions. This word sozo means saved, safe, preserved, recovered, restored, healed, rescued, protected. It's the, it's the closest word to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament of shalom, perfect peace. This word sozo is more than just, oh, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. It's I'm completely made whole by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus would lay hands on people in the gospels and say, be made whole. And what he literally was saying in the Greek was sozo. He would look at someone who was sick and say, be healed. But what he was really saying is sozo. He would look at the man and say, your sins are forgiven. What he was really saying was sozo. This is amazing. And now by grace, we have been sozo. Nothing missing, nothing broken, completely saved. Jesus saves every part of you. But now now here's the deal. You're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. So when you get saved, you're saved. When you get saved, God starts you at the finish line. But (laughs) your soul and your body are playing catch up because they jacked up. So my spirit's saved. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'm saved. I'm washed in the blood. I'm going to heaven. Amen. But my soul, mind, will, and emotions, I got memories. I got proclivities. I've got bents. I've got junk. I've got stuff. And so my soul, and we're, okay, I don't want to give it away. I'll announce it next week. Anyway, so my soul is having to catch up with my spirit, my body. I'm saved and I'm healed, but my body doesn't know it's healed. (laughs) So I got to tell my body the word of God, you're healed. Right? Does this make sense? So I'm saved and I'm being saved. And one day I'll go to heaven and I will be saved. Okay. So God 
gives us sozo. He gives us complete wholeness. And when God saves you, he saves all of you. And it is by grace alone that we receive this wholeness. So we're saved by grace. Number two, I only got two points for you today. Number two, we continue to live in grace. We don't start in grace and end in works. Okay. Colossians 2.6. And now. Everyone say now. now. Okay, now is present. Now. Just as you accepted Christ, that's past tense. You must continue to follow him, future tense. Now, follow Jesus the same way you accepted Jesus. How do I follow Jesus? The same way I received Jesus. Can you put that scripture up one more time, Mario? I'm sorry. In the same way that I received him, same way that I accepted him, same word, I now follow him. Grace. When you accepted Christ, if, you, if you're really saved, here's how you accepted Christ. You came to a point where by the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, you knew that God was for you, not against you. You knew God loved you. You knew that eternity was real. You knew that you needed a savior. You knew that you were helplessly lost without one and you called upon the name of Jesus and you exchanged your life for his life and you made him Lord. You repented of your sin and you gave him your life in, a, in an act of utter God, I cannot do this without you. I need you. That's how you got saved. Now, if that's, if that's not your testimony, you're not saved. No hate. You're just not saved yet. Right? So if you're here tonight, you're going, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm becoming a better person. I've been going to church. You're not a Christian yet. Okay? Because Christianity isn't for good people. It's for dead people. <laughs> Christianity is not a stretcher for the weak. It's a stretcher for the dead. <laughs> okay, Jesus doesn't offer a better life, he offers a new life, which is better, but it's new. Okay. I'm, I'm making a point here. I, when I came to Christ, June 10, 1998, I came helplessly lost and I said, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. And I'm still following him just like that. So the prayer I prayed right before I walked out the door to preach pretty much sounded like the prayer I prayed when I was 15 years old, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. It's pretty much the same prayer. Jesus, I can't, I can't, you can. And I give you my life and I receive your life. I can't do this. And now 21 years later, I'm praying the same prayer. I'm not talking about I'm praying the sinner's prayer still. I'm saying I'm still, I'm following Jesus the same way I accepted Jesus. And it's not only an option, it's the only option. Right, like this isn't one of the options of Christianity. This is it. God, I can't do this and I need your grace. So how'd you get saved? You got saved by grace. How do you follow Jesus? By grace. In the moment of salvation, all you could do is trust Jesus to do what you couldn't do. Now live that way. Grace does the heavy lifting. Grace does the heavy lifting. If I could explain it this way, I think I've used this before, but I love vacuuming, and I, I only love vacuuming because Goldie loves vacuuming. 
And so as soon as I start vacuuming, she'll come up beside the vacuum and she'll kind of put her little two-year-old hand on the vacuum and kind of go with it, right? And I'll look down at her and she'll go, Dada, I did it. And I'll go, yeah, baby, you did it. She didn't do jack. I did it. I did the heavy lifting. And when the vacuum is done and we wrap up the course, she goes, all done. <laughs> and I praise her and reward her for it, though she didn't do anything. And I go, that's right, baby, all done. You did it. I did it. <laughs> if you know her voice, you know I nailed that. And so, <laughs> and you know what, you know what, that's what grace is. Grace is doing, and, and faith is thinking you have something to do with it. <laughs> Look, God, I planted this church 15 months ago. And Jesus is going, yeah, buddy, you did it. I did it. <laughs> Grace. Jesus, we got 850 people coming every Sunday. Look what I did for you, Jesus. Yeah, buddy, you idiot, I did it. <laughs> and we walk around like we got faith. Praise God, hallelujah. We believe God, glory to God. We teach you how to plant a church, okay? Let me give you 10 steps to planting a church. No, let me give you one step to planting a church. Hold on to the vacuum and let him do whatever he... <laughs> Grace does the heavy lifting. We don't start in grace and end in works, Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians. Oh, I love this. Paul, Paul talks to his church as the way every pastor wish he could talk to his church. Amen. Oops, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Grace. Grace. Who has bewitched you? Literally in the Greek, who's put you under a spell? Before your very eyes. Now, okay. He's not talking about some witch or warlock or psychic or some tarot card reader. He's talking about religious people who are, who are telling the Galatians, hey, we know you received Jesus, but you still need to be circumcised. Gentlemen, <laughs> it'd be an awkward day in church, okay? Let me just tell you. <laughs> now, now, we do circumcision today for a lot of different reasons. We're talking about full-grown adults who gets saved, receive Christ as Lord, and the, and, and the Jews are coming in and saying, well, we know that you believe Jesus is the Messiah, that's cool, but you still have to follow the law and you still have to be circumcised. And now full-grown Christian men who are, the, you know, these aren't Jews, so they're not circumcised. They're having to go under the knife. And there wasn't really anesthesia like there is today, okay? Let me just, you know, you know what Paul would say before I go here? Rated R, well, We'll read it later on in the series. But he literally would say in Galatians, you know what? If you, if you think that being circumcised makes you righteous, why don't you go all the way, dude, and cut the whole thing off? That's not in a Game of Thrones book, y'all. That's in the Bible. Paul goes, oh, you want to be righteous. You want to follow the law, huh? Go ahead and just cut the whole thing off and look super spiritual. It's in Galatians. And we got super spiritual Christian TV Christians walking around. 
talking about, I don't eat shrimp because it's not under the law. You know, it's under the law and I want to fall. Like, homie, there are 613 mosaic laws. What are you talking about not eating shellfish? You don't even know. You, don't, you, you know enough to be dangerous. People that don't know a lick of Hebrew but calling Jesus Yeshua. Can I tell you, the Jewish people in the first century didn't speak Hebrew, they spoke Greek. You calling him Yeshua. Peter, James, and John didn't even call him Yeshua. Called him Yeshu. What are we talking about? Putting ourselves back under the law. Finding a few little verses that make us feel more spiritual, like, well, I won't eat shellfish, or I'll, you know, I'll worship on Saturday, or I'll do this, or I'll, do, or, you know, I'll say Yeshua Mashiach instead of Jesus Christ. And we, and we feel spiritual, and we feel like we have power over people, and we, and we feel like we're all that. How about all the other hundreds of laws that you're not following? How about the Ten Commandments? Right? I, I just hope you're saying... Okay, I'm on a rant. I'm relaxing. Friend, this is by grace. This is why the Bible says if you break one law, you've broken them all. In other, if, if we could be saved by works, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. So we don't rely on that stuff. I don't care if you eat shellfish or not. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. But, but don't you dare think that you're doing God a service by it. It's crazy. But, but we know just enough to be dangerous. And to look spiritual, we look the part. We act like we're all that. Okay. Back to the text. Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Ten Commandments, 613 Mosaic Laws, over 1,000 prophetic commandments given throughout the Old Testament. Is that, how you, is that how you got saved? No. Or did you get saved by believing what you heard? Yeah. Are you so foolish? After beginning in the Spirit, after beginning in grace, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul said, y'all got radically saved. Why are you going back to these things? And today for us, the temptation may not be to go back to Jewish law, but it just may, our temptation is to go back to self-effort. Right? Though there is this huge rise of, of that kind of stuff too. And anyway, so how do, I, how do I respond to grace? Let me, let me tell you how you respond to grace. You respond to grace by faith. You respond to grace by believing what you heard, the gospel. Because true Bible grace will lead to Bible faith. And true Bible faith will lead to Bible grace. They're married and they cannot be separated. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And we're going we're gonna to get into this a lot because I know as soon as you start talking about grace, people get, start getting real freaked out, right? Like, oh, man, I don't want to talk about grace. I don't want people to have a license to sin. You know, I don't want people to believe that, you know, if they have grace, they can do whatever the heck they want. And, you know, and Paul had to address that in Romans 6. 
He goes, do we, do we preach grace and then sin all the more? He goes, that's impossible. But the reason he wrote that in Romans 6 is because he was being accused of that. One theologian said, if we're not being accused of the same things the Apostle Paul was accused of, we're probably not preaching the same thing the Apostle Paul was preaching. <laughs> Paul was being accused of preaching this radical grace that let people go on sinning. So he then in Romans 6 has to correct it and say, no, 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 this is not a license to sin. Which by the way, just side note, I've still never seen a license to sin. I've never seen one. I've never seen one, someone screwing up their life and I go, hey man, you gotta, you, no man, I got a license. <laughs> it's legal. I've never, that's never happened. Okay. Grace will always, true grace will always lead to faith. And true faith will always lead back to grace. So faith is not gritting your teeth. Grace is not trying harder, performance motivated, fear motivated. Faith is putting my trust in the grace of Jesus. That's faith. Uh, faith, faith in grace is like this. Let me see this picture. Grace is God holding our hand and faith is us holding God's hand. Uh, this is me and Goldie about a year ago. To God be the glory, her hair is growing out. <laughs> almost, I've been praying for her hair and almost put a little Rogaine on it too, but, we, but it's, it's gro now it's growing out. Thank God, this is about a year ago. Uh, this is over at downtown Summerlin. Uh, th this is grace. I assume all the responsibility. I will not let you run in that street. I will not let you run into the lake in front of Maggiano's. Amen, Summerlin people. <laughs> I will not let you run towards the bright, shiny car. Grace does all the heavy lifting. Faith receives the protection of the Father. Grace assumes the responsibility. Faith says, I love you, Dad. Ooh, water. <laughs> oh, come on back. <laughs> I love you, Dad. Ooh, a bright car, huh? Oh, come on back. I love you, Dad. Ooh, a street. I feel like I should run into that. You know, no, come on back. Faith holds God's hand, but God's really doing the holding. Trust God's grip on you more than your grip on God. It's grace. Grace makes, faith takes. And all the parents can say amen because your kids are takers, as they should be. They take. And we make because we love them. And God makes. And we take. Grace sets the table. Faith eats. This morning I woke up and gave Shan a little bit more time to sleep and get ready and I got Goldie and we went downstairs and we made huffles because she doesn't call them waffles, she calls them huffles. So we made huffles 
And then we got some blue raspberries, which is a blueberry, but she calls them blue raspberries. <laughs> and after months of holding a blueberry in front of her face and saying blueberry, and she goes, blue raspberry. <laughs> We've given up and they're blue raspberries. And we got our yogurt and we got our orange juice, which is about a half an ounce of orange juice to water. Amen. But she thinks it's juice. <laughs> and, and, and Grace set the table. And then because I was feeling extra gracious, put a little Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on for her. And I set the table. Faith eats. God sets the table. Isn't there scripture like that? Is it Psalm 23? Is it? You make a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. Yeah, yeah, But you make a table for me. Grace sets the table. Faith eats the blue raspberries. Grace sets the tempo. Faith holds on. Grace pushes. Faith rests. And grace does push. That, that's why Paul said, I work harder than any of these other apostles, yet not I, the grace of God. Like there is a tempo to grace, and you'll find it. And you know you're outside of that tempo when you're tired. Because there is a tempo to God's grace on your life. There's a rhythm of grace to what he has. Grace pushes, but it has a certain speed. And you got to find it for you. Grace pushes, faith rests. And if I, could, if I could show you this faith-grace relationship to the best of my ability, it would be this video. So I want you guys to check this out. And I think, I think it'll kind of uh, bring all this together. Check this out. Rick was attending... Uh a basketball game and they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an accident he was paralyzed in the waist down so they're gonna have a charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could pay his medical bills well Rick came home from that basketball game and he said dad I have to do something for him I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed I want to run in the race well at the time I was 40 years old I was not a runner but we went down to the race and we finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. When we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now they're out there running. The disability disappears. We have finished 1,091 race events in 34 years, including 252 triathlons, six of which are Ironman distances, 70 marathons including 30 Boston marathons, 94 half marathons, and 155 5K races. When we first started running, I used to run for Rick, but now I'm out there running because we run together as a team. And it's got him in the best shape of his life, and it's got me in the best shape of my life that I've ever been in. You know, I'm 73 years old. 
Patrick is 51 years old. He still can't talk, he uses his arms and his legs, but he's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in over 1,000 athletic events in the past 34 years. We are affecting people all over the world and they're out competing because of us. They're out there running. It's just amazing to us that it's happened. This coming year is gonna be our 31st Boston Marathon, and there's gonna be a life-size bronze statue of us at the starting line. From the doctor saying he's gonna be nothing but a vegetable, now he's gonna be a bronze statue. It doesn't come any better than that. We're Team Hoyt, and we run for the people who think they can't run. Oh, grace sets the tempo. Grace pushes. Grace does the heavy lifting. Faith receives. Faith receives. Faith receives. We're going to be talking about receiving God's grace. They're, going to, they're going, then going to be talking about giving God's grace. And we're even going to be talking about how to give grace to ourselves because the truest expression of grace is the cross. So what grace really looks like in the life of the believe, believer in full maturity is it looks like a vertical relationship with God. And it looks like a horizontal relationship with others. I know I understand grace when I can reach out here and I can reach out here. And we're going to get there. It's going to take weeks. So we're not in a hurry. And there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions. Don't email me tonight going, yeah, but what about this scripture? What about? We'll get, I'll get to all of it. Let this series, let this series set the pace and receive.